Welcome to Women Influencers in Business and CRE. How could I not get excited about having 2024 National Association of Realtors President Tracy Casper as my guest? Listen in as she gets personal with the story of her life, her business, and her fabulous leadership journey while she shares valuable lessons we all can take away. I am Veronica Malolas, CCIM, founder and CEO of Capital Stack Real Estate Group, a commercial real estate company serving the greater Orlando area. Before we begin, please don't forget to hit that thumbs up button and subscribe below so you don't miss the next episodes. I welcome your comments and please share with someone who can benefit from this podcast. So get ready to be inspired by my guest, Tracy Casper. Good morning, Tracy. How are you? I'm really good. Good morning. Good morning. I am so excited because I am in Florida and you are in Idaho, which yep. is mountain time, two hours behind me. So I appreciate you doing this today and also on a Saturday. We are recording on a Saturday, so I appreciate that so much. So I wanted to make sure that our audience who is tuning in can listen to your fabulous story of growing up in your environment and getting to where you are today. So let's begin. Tell us uh, tell us about that. And I just can't wait to hear it. Oh, well, thank you. And first of all, thank you for having me today. This is really exciting to be able to share my story and kind of how I got to where I'm at right now. Um, it's one of those things where you just realize how powerful stories are. And while a lot of us sit there and think, well, everyone goes through this, Veronica, you are so right. No, we don't. We all have a different little spin that gets us to wherever we're going to go. So thank you for allowing me to do this. So first of all, I was actually born in Scotts Bluff, Nebraska. My family lived in Wyoming, actually. So we were just on that border there. And that's why the hospital was on the other side of the state line. So grew up a little bit in Wyoming, but let me describe how we grew up. My dad was a rancher, his family were ranchers. And so he just wanted to always be on a ranch. So we would live 60 miles out of town. We would move again to, so he could ranch hand with someone else. So we moved a lot. He had other jobs as well. Cause I think then he wanted to, he was a police officer for a while. He worked on the trains for a while. He worked in the oil fields for a while. He just was never very settled. Well, with that, he's got a wife and children and I'm the oldest of four. We moved in the span of four years as I was going into school, a total of 18 times. Wow. We just moved and moved and moved. So I was a, I was a kindergarten dropout because we just moved too far out of town. Kindergarten wasn't required. So, you know, I went partly and then I didn't finish. But first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, I never went to the same school for a whole year. Wow. I bounced and bounced and so did my younger siblings. Until finally, I just got to a point and my mom just realized that this was not a good life for her kids. So she divorced my dad. And, and I look back and I think this is in late 70s. And this is a woman who at the time was 29 years old. And at 29 years old, she packs four kids and everything she can possibly fit into the back of a powder blue station wagon, if we can all remember those and boxes. She was the best packer. She'd moved 18 times. So she had lots of practice. She had every compartment and kids stuffed everywhere she could around whatever we could fit in that car. And she moved us from Eastern Wyoming across the state, across Idaho into Western Idaho. And that's where we all live now. So I think back to that really brave woman who just thought it has to be better than this. And I can't let my children 
go through and grow up the way that we were. So, and, and just for context and perspective, how far away is Nebraska from Idaho or did you move directly from Nebraska at that point? Well, it was Wyoming and it was Wyoming. Yep. Okay. 900 miles roughly. So about a 15 hour, yeah, about a 15 hour track. But you know, when you've got four little kids and you're moving someplace and she had a sister actually that lived here and that's what helped her kind of decide this was where she wanted to go. She just knew she needed to start that new life. So I just, I just can't imagine how brave you would be to leave everything, you know, to take your children and start this new life. So we're, we're now in Idaho and my mom is struggling. First of all, she moves in with her sister, but there's not room where my aunt lived. And so we lived in a little camper out back, my mom and four kids. And she was trying to find a place to rent. She had to find a job. She had to do all those things. Now, if you think about it, the familial status was never added until the mid eighties for fair housing. Mm. So I can tell you, she struggled. And I remember listening to her and my aunt talk. I can't believe people won't rent to a, a single mom with kids. They just wouldn't rent to a single mom with kids, you know, and she just struggled so much to find a place. She finally found a place. She had a job. She actually had two. And because I was the oldest, I'm 10 years old when we moved over going into the fifth grade. And this is important to my story because I'm in fifth grade. This is the first year that I actually was in a classroom for a whole year. Wow. This is what I heard. Let me share this with you. I heard the teacher in the classroom talking to the other kids saying things like, Billy, how are mom and dad? Because she knew mom and dad. Uh, Susie, how's your big brother, Ted? How's he doing? Is How's basketball? And she would just ask these kids because she probably had every one of their siblings in her classroom. She knew their parents because they grew up in the community and they knew the community. And it was my first glimpse into what did community mean? It, ah. And I just wanted it so badly. No one knew my family. We were new. No one knew who we were. So we had to establish our own reputation and our own place in this little society that I found myself in. So my mom is working. I'm 10. I, that means I get to babysit. So I was kind of her partner of sorts, helping her, you know, to babysit the kids. She was working during the day. She was working at night, saving, saving, saving because she wanted to buy a house. And I didn't know she was wanting to buy a house. The only thing I watched her do that I wasn't quite sure what it was, was filling out a lot of paperwork. Mm. The day that she closed on her house, and I don't know the terms, I don't know what's going on. I just know I got put in the car with my siblings and she takes us to this house and she stands us on the driveway and she says, we own it. And I can look back now, it was an RD loan. Can you imagine the paperwork she was going through? Mm. This is the first house she'd ever owned in her entire life. And she did it by herself with these four kids in tow. That's amazing. And we're standing at the end of this driveway And the thought that crosses my mind, and I'm now probably 11 or 12, is not only now was I going to be able not just to go for one year with these kids, I was going to be able to go through high school and graduate, which I did with these kids. The sense of community, the sense of roots, the sense of we would never have someone say, I'm not going to rent to a woman with with four kids or worry that rent was going to go up. That sense of stability, community. And those roots that we put in, I can look back now and say, of course, that's what led me to real estate. Of course, that's what, when I had that opportunity to be able to do the same thing for families, I jumped at it. That sense of every single closing we have is so special. Absolutely. 
they're clear down to the 10 year old kid that's standing in the driveway. And it's not only just real estate. I assume that this is also why you became a realtor. Oh, no question. No question. It's also the reason why, and, and, and all of us do this, right? Especially women, we give back when we yeah. have a chance to step up and to contribute. And, you know, we're the first to raise our hands and say, yes, I can do that. I am a good fundraiser, I have found over all these years, you know, so from PTO to your civic groups, to your chambers, to your whatever boards you belong to. And real estate has been a place that I have found myself. We just do. But that was my gift back to this place that gave me so much. Oh, that's that's amazing to hear, Tracy. And now let's let's move a little bit into the story of how you became a business owner. Yeah. As a realtor, and I know you own at least three real estate offices. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, so you never think that that's what you're going to do. I mm. got my license. I had actually been in real estate for about five years. One of my brokers took me to um, a luncheon. And so you get this little taste of, oh, there's an association and all of these things. But I got my license finally and loved it. Jumped right in, volunteered, became treasurer of my local board really fast, mainly because I ran against someone and they didn't show up. So they elected me. They didn't know me, but they elected me. <laughs> Last girl standing, right? But getting my license, it wasn't more than about five years later that I thought, no, I want my broker's license. I had no intention of being a broker. It wasn't on my radar at all, nor was owning a company. Got my broker's license two years after that, I uh, was approached by a team. They were five owners of a company, really well-respected company in town. They approached me and a few others and said, we want you to buy in. So they offered me an opportunity to buy in and be a partner in this company. Wow. At one point, we had 10 partners. Let me give you some perspective. This was February of 2007. Ooh. So if we all think <laughs> back. I can look back now and go, I think I know why we needed five more partners. But we start to go into what we know now was the deepest recession we had ever had at that point okay. and maybe we'll ever have in our generation. So, you know, it's 2007 and we're starting to feel this oddness. And when I was told I would just be the silent partner, they would take care of the day to day. I wouldn't have to worry about it. Suddenly, you know, we're all having these really tough meetings and we're having some pretty tough discussions and bills are stacking up and money is not coming in. Deals aren't happening. 2008 hits and 2008 was rough. Yeah. So talk about what's one of the biggest struggles you've ever had to go through. I will tell you that was my struggle. That was, that was the pinnacle of when I found out two things, what I was made of and what other people that I had a lot of respect for were made of as well. Oh, absolutely. What are, what? People. Yeah, that's right. It's through those difficult times, I think, that we learn not just about ourselves, but of others. And sometimes it leads to parting ways or strengthening those relationships. So how did that go? Well, I don't know that I've seen people leave faster. when things <laughs> are rough. Um, I'm not, not going to lie. I was surprised at the people that just said, hands in the air, I quit. I can't do it. I don't have it in me. I quit. So they, we lost probably three or four, maybe even five of us that way. A couple thought that they were negotiating with us, but honestly, they negotiated, they left, they didn't follow through. I had to sue them to oh, because they left me holding my team, you know, teammates and I holding the bag on a pretty big chunk that we just couldn't overlook. So that was a bummer because, you know, we were all friends at one yeah. point. You know, here we find ourselves in court and we figured it out and got it done. 
then, you know, a few more leave and a few more leave. And the deepest part of it in 2009 and 10, where literally there were spurts, you didn't have a deal closed at all for months. Mm. We let everyone go that we, that we could get away with letting go. We did a lot of the work ourselves. You're cleaning the bathrooms, you're vacuuming the floors. You're just, you're taking care of. Yeah. I negotiated every lease because when the first group of five, when they left, they knew what they were leaving us with. Yeah. And the rumors start to flow that although those girls will be done in six months. Wow. Type of person that if you're going to tell me I can't do it, well, I'm just going to just pull my bootstraps up a little harder and I'm going to, I'm going to do it because I'm going to prove to you that I can. There's just something in me that just says I can't quit. Women power. And let me tell you, I think that as you're saying that, I'm imagining your mom thinking the same way. That's fabulous. It's true. It's strong women, strong and never to be discouraged. That's wonderful. Nope. So we did. We made it. And and I bought the last one out in the end of 2015. She and I were the last two and it just, our partnership wasn't working and I could see that we were deteriorating. So had a tough conversation and I offered, you know, we both talked about it. I would buy her out, which I did. And that left me as the sole owner. Now you can imagine after going through some pretty rough times with partners, I swore I would never have partners again, but I was approached by a group in 2019, in a different part of the state, they uh-huh. knew about me, they knew about my franchise. And so they asked me to partner with them. We we worked on it, got that done. And then I ended up owning a majority owner of that one. And then opening a third one uh, just a couple of years ago on the Eastern side of the state. So I had negotiated with my franchise, which is Berkshire Hathaway, the lower half of the state to be able to have those first rights for those other areas. And that's what we did. Oh, that's that's really fantastic. Not only is that a story of a realtor that overcame the challenges of 2008 and the deepest recession, but yeah. it's a story of a small businesswoman. And I love that because, as you know, this podcast is about women influencers in, in business and CRE. And I know you also practice a little bit of commercial real estate. Yeah. So it, it's such a great story of how a woman like you has overcome all of that and also overcome the challenges of small business. Because let me tell you, I know we sometimes have to be the janitor. We have to be the property manager of our own office. We have to be the recruiter and and the broker and and all that. So congratulations, how wonderful that is. Now, I want to move on and talk about influence. And now for For everybody who is listening in, I'm sure a lot of them know who you are because you're such an influencer in the real estate industry because you're about to be installed as the 2024 national president of the Realtor Association. And how many members do we currently have in this organization? Yeah, we are 1.5 million, just over. So 1.525 million. Yeah. And you are the leader. You're going, you're about to step into the role of being the national leader of the largest trade association in the United States. Am I correct in that? In the United States and the world. And the world. Yeah. Largest trade organization in the world, which is pretty great. Our influence well, is magnificent, actually. Correct. Now yeah. let's talk a little bit about your leadership role and how you feel this type of influence is really impactful as far huh. as going into the presidency? You know, Veronica, you and I have had this conversation. I had to campaign 
for this role. And one of the one of the challenges of my campaign, probably unprecedented and maybe will never happen again, who knows, but it was completely virtual. Yes. So I had to find my hallways of sorts. So normally we'd be traveling, we would be seeing each other at these different organizations and meetings. Couldn't do it. I couldn't get out. And so I had to make a lot of phone calls. Well, I could talk to those directors that would be voters, but I wasn't still hearing what's happening out there. And this is in 2021 coming up and really it started in 2020. So pandemic era. Yeah. But if you remember the state of the world, not just were we having a pandemic, but we had racial tensions, we had political tensions, and there was so much going on. There was really this heightened awareness of who we all are, how different we all are. What does diversity really mean? We're not checking boxes anymore. That doesn't feel good. But what we were doing, and this is the unconscious bias that we all have in us, is we migrate to what we know. We migrate to people who look and feel like us and talk like us and all of those things. So how do I learn what diversity means? How do I learn what others are experiencing and going through because I come from a very different place. I had to learn what coming from privilege meant. I explained to you my story, we were very poor. So in my mind's eye, I'm like, well, I wasn't privileged either. I mean, I had to work really hard. That I had to learn. Privilege does not mean money. Privilege means where do you walk out of your house every day? And do I have to worry about my children who are of color getting pulled over in their cars for no reason. Do I have to worry? I, I listened to a story by a professor out of a Texas university and he was on one of our podcasts and he was talking about, I'm very influential. Everyone knows me. I live in a beautiful affluent neighborhood, but he said, I don't jog. He was an African-American man. He said, I don't jog at night and I never drive my car on the freeway at night because under the cloak of darkness, no one knows who I am. Mm. So he's scared of his own or scared for his own life. And, and he talked about his children. I don't have to worry about that. Mm. We talk about, even in our industry, we have lock boxes where you can gain access, you know, get the keys. We would put the lock box on the back, on the gas meter, on the side of the house. Well, now our peers who are of color have to, you know, go around the side of the house and get the keys out. Suddenly neighbors are, what are they doing? They're calling the police on them. They're doing all these things. So this place of privilege, this journey that I have been on, Veronica, has been outstanding. So when I think about what can I do, right? What I'm one person, what can I do? Well, I'm in a position where I have an opportunity to not go and pick my friends, right? We get to choose our leaders. We get to actually bring people in that work on work groups and organizations and other committees and leadership roles. I get to choose that. Can I pick my friends? I could. Mm. Have we done it only because we weren't realizing what we were doing? It wasn't because we were being malicious. It wasn't because we were just picking our friends. We were migrating to what we knew. So I, I have to tell you, my eyes have been opened to the fact that we have so many amazing people. We have so much talent. Mm. We just have to give other people a chance that have never been given a chance before. We have to look outside of the, of the group that we know so well. Yeah. And so there are younger people. There are newer people in our industry that come with past lives and talents and they get excited about certain like sustainability is a fun thing to talk about because all of a sudden you'll see these people who will just jump out of the woodwork and want to talk about sustainability. Yeah. You have to reach outside of yourself. And that's the biggest opportunity that I have is that I get to reach way out and say, who's out there 
that's just really good at whatever it is I need help with. It's pretty fantastic. It is pretty fantastic. And listening to you talk about this, Tracy, one thought crossed my mind that in your journey, not only are you going to be an influence to others, especially in helping with promoting diversity within our organization, but it seems to me that you being in this journey, the people around you, because you have opened your eyes and because you're open to new ideas, they have influenced you. Oh, and so it's a fantastic circle because once you become the president, then your leadership, because of others who've influenced you, because you're open, will now be able to influence more. So I am just so thrilled about that, especially because there is so much that the National Association of Realtors actually do yeah. to impact the industry and therefore the economy and the communities. So yeah. tell just just as an overview for people who are not really aware of what the National Association of Realtors is, talk yeah. a little bit about policy making and our advocacy and how that really actually helps the community. Oh, there's no no question. And really, there is not an association or an organization out there that champions property and home ownership. There's not an organization that that really goes out there and fights for that property owner. And that's what we do. So when we think about our advocacy, we can talk a lot about what we do at the national level, where we make sure that your mortgage interest can still be deducted, where we make sure flood insurance is still available. Which, by the way, flood insurance also affects commercial real estate owners. So, yes. Very much so. In fact, because, you know, those commercial owners have so much more money, sometimes that red tape just adds layers and adds layers. And our job is to make sure that we keep government in check. Right. We let them know who we are. We let them know what's important. In the commercial arena, we talk a lot, and really commercial affects residential. So this affects everybody. But the 1031 exchange was on the chopping block. And this was when they were trying to do tax reform. They were trying to find a bucket of money. We're in the middle of a pandemic. What can we do? Well, let's just get rid of this thing that you know can defer taxes. What we had to do was literally fly into those rooms and say, okay, wait, let me explain to you what taking away that 1031 exchange does. Absolutely. If you want to stop an economy on its head, you stop the movement of money. If you want to stop anyone reinvesting and growing their industry or their business, stop the movement of money. And that 1031 exchange is that vehicle by which we saw and we see this churn, this reinvestment, this this growth in any of our communities. So we, at the highest level, help members of Congress who don't do what we do every day understand the unintended consequences of what they think is just a good decision. They wanted to eliminate the step up in basis. We had to explain that. There's so many, there's a list of about 200 things that we watch every single day that benefits either small business or real estate in general. Yeah. If you take it to the state level, you can think of all of your state laws that are getting passed. You can talk about that. But when you go to the local level, as influential as any of those other two levels are, the advocacy that we do at home, because you have mayors and city council people and your county commissioners. And they're just people like us. They're elected into these positions. They're just trying to make the very best decision that they can. But sometimes they can come in with their own agenda. Sometimes they don't understand because they're not in it. So it's our job to educate, be a good sounding board, 
help them understand, again, unintended consequences of certain things that they will pass that they think is a really good idea, but they're going to they're gonna prohibit or hinder business or they're going to prohibit or hinder private property ownership. And those rights are what we fight for every day. You know, I appreciate the fact that you were able to explain the role of the National Association for Realtors in such realistic terms and practical ways, because let's face it, real estate is local. And as big as the National Association of Realtors is, if we lose sight of local issues, we will lose sight of a lot of issues. So thank you. Thank you for talking about that. I wanted to ask you if there was one piece of advice that you would give to someone who's tuned in, perhaps a woman who may not be in real estate, but would want to start their own business or is already a business owner, what would that piece of advice be? I am a big proponent of a couple of things. One, be genuine. When you are genuine to your clients, your customer base, your employees, the people who surround you, because you're about to build a team. No one does anything by themselves. Absolutely. No, I mean, I look at the, the vendors that we work with. I mean, I my my title reps, my lenders, my appraisers, my home inspectors, anyone that I work with, I make sure I'm working with the very, very best. Because when they're out there and I've referred them, um, suddenly they become my guy, right? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, your guy. So when you're building your team, make sure that they are of the highest ethical standards, that they're doing the very best job that they can. People are going to mess up, but then let's own it and take care of it. You're going to mess up, own it and take care of it. It's okay, but be genuine. I think people can see through this facade or a fake demeanor. They'll they'll see through us quicker than anything. So be genuine. And then if you really want to kickstart a business, join your chamber, Mm. your local chamber. That absolutely blew my business up because I was working and interfacing with other business owners. I did learn that you have to be careful because they do all have different agendas. I was really surprised to see some of this because we, we live in a small town in Idaho, right outside of Boise. And it's a, it was a dying little town. So everyone had an idea of how to bring business back and how to make this little, you know, mini city kind of return itself. When other people come in and and you start to conflict and see these different and their personal agendas, Mm. have to be there for the greater good. You have to go in. Yes, of course, we bring whatever influence we have, but whatever decisions we make, it has to be for the greater good. It can't just benefit you. So when you look outside of yourself, give back, get involved. I am telling you, you will be rewarded in spades because people will see that in you and they will want to make sure that you succeed. So get involved. Yes. Oh, thank you. That That's fantastic advice. And speaking of integrity and ethical practice, I think that's really what distinguishes a real estate licensee from a realtor. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and it's because we are held by a code of ethics that continues to be looked at by our pool of members and leaders to help augment if we needed to or adjust if we needed to, because we have a long history of the Realtor Association. So so thank you. I, I love that advice. I wanted to kind of hand over the mic to you at this point and have you ask me the one question that all my guests kind of ask. So go ahead, Tracy, ask me a question. No, no question. So when I look at you, Veronica, first of all, thank you, because you talk about doing it right. 
you do it right. So thank you for having this podcast and taking care of your listeners, but also for doing business the way that you do every day. So the question that I wanted to ask you is, what is that one big win? What's that one big success that you have had in your leadership? So that's a great question. And leadership. So you and I are very active in the National Association of Realtors. Your role is much, much higher than mine. A few years ago, I can't remember when, I was honored to have been picked as the chair of the the Housing Opportunity Committee. Now, this committee is huge. It's about over 100 members from all over the country. And so I felt very, very honored to have led this fantastic group. And I will tell you that the proudest moment of my leadership was when we were able to bring the committee, not just myself, but as chair, we were able to bring the financial literacy policy that was brought to the National Association of Realtors Board, which is comprised of uh, nearly a thousand directors who vote. And what happened was the committee was able to at least put together this policy together with our fantastic staff which by the way is Wendy Penn, who is no longer with us, but with another, I think it's a mortgage banking association, if I'm not mistaken, but she had been with NAR for a very long time. And we put this policy together and consequently NAR put some tools for the local associations. Again, real estate is local. And so it was so important for a local association to have these tools to be able to go out in the community and at least provide some programs that would help with financial literacy. Let me tell you, my daughter, who is going to be going to university, University of uh, South Florida, which we're very, very happy she has her AA, we actually had to sit down and, and think about student loans. And we had this long conversation about debt and income and how that impacts you in the future. And I think that to this day, I have a passion for financial literacy because, and I'll tell you an immigrant story. So I migrated to the United States when I was already 27, going through a bad divorce. And like you, when you talked about not having community, because I moved from one state to another, I really did not have a community and network. And so it was much more difficult for me to get you know, connected with the people that matter to build my career. So the Realtor Association actually provided me with that. And then I started thinking about, because we were Realtors, we deal with families and most of them don't understand financial wellness. And a lot of them can't get a mortgage because they're about 10 years late and they have three more years before they can be house ready. So I think that, That was the proudest moment of my leadership when I was able to bring at least or lead this huge committee from all over the country to eventually get NAR to provide these tools that are available to all of our local realtor associations. So, so there you go. That's, that's the one thing (laughs) that I'm proud of. I love it. So Veronica, I'm just going to put a little teaser out there. I can't wait for you to see what we're going to get to work on next year. I guarantee you, you are going to love every bit of it. Oh, I can just tell that it's probably got something to do with financial literacy. I I love it. (laughs) I love it. Well, I want to thank you, Tracy, for taking your Saturday morning. And I know it's early for you because you're two hours behind me. But I want to really, really thank you for as big a leader as you are, who's going to undertake this 
big role next year as a woman leading this large organization. I want to thank you for speaking to me. I appreciate you so much. And I'm sure all our members and all the listeners appreciate you too. Oh, thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you. And, and I hope you enjoy your weekend with your family. I am going to. No question. I'm home. So we'll take it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, have a good weekend and we'll see you soon. Okay. Thanks, Veronica. 